Good evening. Love this is Marcia Joyner. Marsha Joyner with Betrayed by Hospice, and tonight our guest is Michelle Chivon, and her father was 78 when he, his life was hastened at that time. His name was Orville. So, Michelle, I'm going to let you talk about it and tell your story. All right. Thanks for having me on, Marsha. Okay. Um, I'm happy to have you. <laughs> uh, just kind of a, a brief history of his, you know, medical issues. Um, up until, you know, the time, the day he died, which was um, November 14, 2017. Um, he was only 78. Um, he lived at um, this particular assisted living home um, for about three years. And um, before his death, about three, three and a half years before, um, he was diagnosed with ALS, um, which is commonly um, called Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, it's one of those um, neurodegenerative diseases, kind of like um, Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis. Um, right. He um, it, but he had you know slow declines in like his muscle weakness in his legs, and but he could still you know walk with a walker and stuff you know with some help. Um, but it mostly you know affected his what they call upper bulbar region, which is like your head and neck. Um, so he had, um, you know, troubles with his speech. It kind of gradually declined over the years. Um, he had a lot of slurring of his speech um, until, you know, at the end um, he couldn't form words at all. So, you know, communication was very difficult as far as that goes. It was a lot of, you know, pointing and, you know, we had a dry erase board for him and stuff. So, um, right. But he also, you know, had problems swallowing, um, you know, his liquids they had thickened, you know, with the thickets, and, um, well, his food, you know, it wasn't quite pureed, but it was, you know, softened, you know, enough where he, you know, could swallow it easy. Um, so that was his, you know, his major diagnosis and, you know, the cause of, you know, a lot of his problems, but, um, you, a few years before that, he had had a pacemaker place, so he had a bit of a heart issue. And um, he was borderline diabetic, too. So he wasn't on insulin or anything. He was, you know, pretty much controlled by diet. Um, So that's just kind of, you know, his major medical issues. You know, he was quite obese, too. He was, you know, right around 300 pounds usually. So um, he was a big guy. (laughs) Right. Um, But he was very alert 
right? I mean, his yeah. mental faculties are still there, okay? And oh, he yeah, lived yeah, by he, himself for many years. Yes, he lived in his apartment until um, when he had, you know, fallen and he had a a hip fracture and, well, then his heart issues, you know, and then so that kind of precipitated him going into assisted living. <laughs> okay. And what um, year was that? Um, the pacemaker and the hip fracture, that was like 2010. Okay, but he uh, he lived by himself until, I believe you said 2014 was um, when he went he, into assisted living? Um, it was the end of 2012 that he okay. had first gone into assisted living. Um, he had a move in between there. He he didn't quite like where he was, and, you know, we had found a different home that had kind of like a more apartment-style type room. So, you know, he kind of liked that a little better. So we made a move there. <laughs> okay, and, that's uh, good. Yeah, So and that was the home where he stayed until he died. So, And um, I guess it's uh, a little bit of the history of the home. Um, in the spring of 2017, it was sold, um, and um, there was, you know, a big change in staff. Um, the nurse that was there, she was very nice and helpful and everything. Um, she was gone, um, I think, all but maybe two or three of the staff members. They were all gone, so it's like an entirely new um, staff of people were brought in, two new nurses. <laughs> so, okay. Um, yeah, it was... After it was sold, it, I, to me anyway, it seemed to kind of go downhill. But anyway, not much I could do about that. <laughs> well, did they change doctors at that time with the facility? Um, no, he had he had kept his primary care doctor. Okay. Um, it's the nurse, the nurses at the at the home there changed. Okay. So. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's fine. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, things were going, you know, well during that time. And um, he started, it was maybe late summer, so um, he had a couple falls. Um, nothing real serious or anything. Um, but um, his, his wheelchair was kind of in disrepair, and I had tried, you know, getting that worked on, you know, to kind of get repairs done, um, you know, in order for Medicare to, you know, pay for repairs, um, you know, you have to go see your primary care doctor face-to-face. So um, we had an appointment made for that, so I showed pictures to the doctor of the wheelchair, and, you know, he agreed that repairs need to be done, so he called into, you know, the um, the durable medical equipment um, place in town, um, you know, he gave a prescription or whatever you call it that, you know, repairs should be done. Right. So well, that <laughs> so that took, you know, quite a while because I, this place wasn't very responsive to me. So, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so we had to go see the doctor anyway, so we did that. <laughs> so um, it was during this time... Um, his money had, you know, begun to get down there to the point where um, he would need to go on the Medicaid. So this was kind of the end of September or so. 
um, there's a lot of paperwork involved in getting onto Medicaid. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of work. <laughs> and um, as far as paying for his rent at the home, um, it was called community care. They're the ones that would, um, you know, pay for most of his rent. We still were had to pay a, a portion of it, but they would be responsible for the majority. So, um, so that's what I was working on, and um, toward the end of September, I had to call the assisted living home. Actually, I sent an email, and um, we had to draw his bank account down another two thousand dollars. And then he would be, you know, set for Medicaid. Um, so I emailed the home asking, you know, how many days would $2,000 get us for the next month's rent? So that would have been October. And I was told it would, um, it would get us through 13 days. So from October 1st to the 13th, um, he would still be private pay. And then from the... October 14th onward, it would be community care paying, and then he would be on Medicaid. So $2,000 would cover him for 13 days? Right. Okay. So then he goes on to Medicaid, but he stayed at the same facility? Right. Yep, he stayed in the same room. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. So... um, I, you know, sent in the check and everything, and, you know, it was all fine and everything, and it just kind of, you know, went on, you know, community care paid and stuff. So um, on October 5th, um, I got a call, like, 5.30 in the morning. Um, He had had a fall. I guess they were helping him to the bathroom, and um, he had lost his balance or tipped or I'm not exactly sure how it went, but um, uh, the home said that two people were helping him to the bathroom. So mm-hmm. I get a call at 5.30 in the morning, and um, they had sent him to the emergency room. So um, he got ready and... Uh, went to the home and got him a change of clothes and his wheelchair and stuff, and we headed to the ER. Um, there, you know, they did x-rays and stuff, and there was there was nothing broken, thankfully. That <laughs> um, was good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it showed up, you know, his previous um, hip fracture um, kind of showed up a little bit because they didn't do surgery on it, but it, it still showed up, I guess, a little bit, so, um, but, you know, he told him, well, that's an, that's an old fracture, so, you know, it's okay, <laughs> um, but when they did other tests there, and, um, they, they found he had a, a UTI, uh, which, which he was kind of, you know, a bit prone to, so, <laughs> um, I, you know, I had asked his doctor to, you know, give him some cranberry tablets to kind of, you know, help prevent that a little bit, so, <laughs> Right. Um, but anyway, he had had a UTI at that point, so um, you know they had him on IV antibiotics there in the ER and um, some pain pills and stuff. Um, he had abrasions and you know he I guess you know on his face he kind of fell and 
into the bathroom door or whatever, so he had, you know, bruises on his face and um, right. sores on his legs and whatnot. So um, they were, you know, treating those. Um, so we eventually discharged him from the ER that same day. Um, I think it was, gosh, probably around lunchtime that we got back to the home. Um, and they had, um, they had given him a prescription for uh, 10 days of antibiotics. So that's what he was sent home with. So, um, uh, they, I, you know, I got all the records, you know, after he had died and stuff. And, um, I seen that they had, um, they ordered the antibiotics the next morning on the on October 6th. So um, I get a call. I believe it was like October 9th or so. Um, the, the ER, the ER uh, wanted him to have a follow-up appointment with his primary doctor. So uh, the, the for the UTI. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just like a general, you know, okay. how are you doing? Or <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. um, but I get a call from the nurse at the home, and well, she was wondering, you know, about the follow-up appointment because the ER had suggested it. And um, I, you know, I just kind of, I, I told her that, you know, it's, I didn't. At the time, you know, I didn't really see the point in going at that point, you know, with him still being on, it was only three days on the antibiotics, and, you know, if they did a urinalysis or anything, it would still show infection. So, you know, I can just, his doctor was kind of a, I don't know, he didn't really <laughs> do a whole lot, <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. I just kind of figured, you know, oh, he'd be one to say, well, just keep taking the antibiotics till they're done. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> that much I knew. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I, I I told the nurse that you know once he's done with the antibiotics and if his sores aren't healing, we'll go to the doctor. So it was. Um, so she said, okay, fine, you know, and she said they'll keep on, you know, treating his wounds and stuff, dressing changes and whatnot. So. Um, it was, uh, let's see, probably uh, the next week, or was it later that week? No, oh, gosh, I'm getting a little lost here. <laughs> when the um, nurse called, um, on the 17th of October, the nurse had called to talk to you? Um, yes. Um, okay. She... Uh, he left me a message. I I was gone, and um, he it was a message regarding um, the possibility of hospice. Because apparently she had she said she was talking to his doctor, and um, just that you know how hospice came up. I I wasn't really sure, but you know this was the message she had left me that. I should call her back and, you know, we can discuss hospice. And um, 
I I didn't I didn't really know anything about hospice. What you know went on in hospice or anything. I just I knew it was for you know end of life. Um, and you know I didn't know anybody who actually you know was ever on hospice or <laughs> so I, right. I had no idea what it was about. <laughs> Well, and so, you're expecting that they're going to take good care of him, and mm-hmm. that if they're recommending it, that they know something you don't. Yeah, yeah. But, um, well, she's the message that I should call her back. So um, later that day when I got home, well, I, I called her back, and, um, you know, she said she was, you know, discussing with the doctor and stuff and, uh, and you know, about hospice, if, you know, it would be a possibility. And, well, and I said, well, I thought hospice was for end of life. And then, well, she says, as a quote, well, it is and it isn't. So I was I was kind of confused at that point. Right. <laughs> and we all would be, right? <laughs> so, so then, then, well, she went on to say, you know, well, it's kind of like this whole new of people, you know, there would be an extra nurse, um, some aides, you know, for helping with his daily cares and stuff, and um, there's volunteers for, you know, spending time and, you know, whatever he would need, so I thought, well, you know, I guess, you know, I thought, well, if they're having problems there, you know, dealing with, you know, what he needs, you know, I thought, well, having extra people around might be a good idea. <laughs> exactly, and that's how they make you feel that we're going to be doing this for your dad. We're going yeah. to be helping him more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, she now I guess uh, you know she was talking. Well, it actually it wasn't really even a phone conversation. It was a, a fax letter that I that I have here and you know that I got after the fact in the records. Um, it was a fax letter um, initiated by the home wondering about hospice. So it's what, you know, the doctor didn't bring it up or anything, but they did. Um, so, but anyway, you know, she said, you know, I could um, talk to the hospice social worker or, well, now that I think of it, he's more of a salesman than a social worker. Right. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so she said, you know, she could get in t- have the hospice person, you know, social worker get in touch with me. And, you know, she kind of said, you know, well, you know, you can choose whatever hospice you like. You know, she said they're all pretty much the same, which I guess was probably the one truth <laughs> that was told to me. <laughs> right. Right. Of everything um, else, that would be true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she, you know, she said I could choose, you know, whatever hospice and, you know, the, the particular hospice that I ended up choosing um, was kind of in a grouping with um, home health care and physical therapy. Um, this was an uh, outfit that he had already had physical therapy with, so, I, you know, she said it would it would make for an easier intake because he had already, you know, been in there system or whatever um, so I didn't really know what a intake all involved so I thought well <laughs> if he's already you know 
been with these people, then, you know, wouldn't, I guess it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> right. It wouldn't be. Now, he would stay in the same place that he was, though, right? And they would just come in? Yes. He, they would come okay. right to his room. Mm-hmm. Even okay. with the physical therapy, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, um, it, it was maybe geez, probably not even an hour later that the social worker had called me and well, he, you know, gave his pitch and everything. And um, so he said this was, I think it was like a Thursday or so that I had talked to him. So he said, you know, well, you know, think about it over the weekend and then, you know, early next week, give me a call and um, let me know what you decide. So um, now I, I try to do as much research as I could over the weekend. Um, I Googled things and, I don't know, I guess I apparently didn't Google the right things. <laughs> well, no, I think what you probably did is what most of us do. We Google hospice and it comes up compassionate care yeah. for mm-hmm. six months later, end of life. Um, that's that's what they want us to see and that unfortunately is all we see until we lose somebody like you did, your dad. Yeah, and I even, you know, like with ALS, you know, I I Googled hospice and ALS. Well, that came up all roses, too, you know, <laughs> all they could do for, you know, a person with ALS. And so, mm-hmm. so um, and, uh, well, you know, during this time, too, um, I was talking with the physical therapist, you know, regarding his wheelchair, and, you know, we had kind of had a plan of what to do or how to, you know, get his repairs done because um, he wasn't Medicare eligible for a new wheelchair till till the end of December. So we were just kind of trying to nurse the chair along till you know, it would get to be that point where he could get a new one. Right. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we kind of come up with a plan, but he was, like, checking on costs and stuff, so... Um, that was something else that was kind of going on in the background there too. <laughs> so, um, well, so they offered my... you. They offered him a new chair. If you went with hospice, they would get him a new chair. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. They would so. get him a new wheelchair, um, a new mattress for his bed. Um, yes, roses, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Promises of roses, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, okay, now you met with the social worker? Yes. Um, I met, let's see, it was October 24th. I don't remember if that was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, what day it was, but it was. I signed papers on October 24th. Um, we met, it was the social worker, me, and the nurse, the hospice nurse. So um, it was the three of us. We were in a conference room at... Um, at the assisted living, they have like two buildings. So we were in a room in this building opposite of my dad's building. Um, so we, we kind of, you know, talked a little bit and, um, you know, the social worker kind of asked questions like, you know, where where my dad was born, what he did for a living, um, you know, church affiliation, stuff like that. Um, and the nurse, well, she kind of asked, you know, more medical questions, you know, his his diagnosis and, you know, past medical history, stuff like that. Um, And (laughs) 
you know, I, I, I told her at one point that, you know, I, well, I tried, you know, Googling, you know, research stuff, and, and, and she says to me, well, I, you probably found that, you know, they say we take pills away. And I said, well, no, I, I didn't really find anything like that. And then she says to me, no, we don't take pills away. <laughs> Which is, you know, meaning the, the general I, medication? Yeah. Meaning like, the general know. medication he was already taking, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. <coughs> so I, I guess, you know, at the time I thought it was kind of a interesting thing, but, you know, I didn't really, you know, think anything of it, but... <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, so, what did she tell you? I'm sorry. She told you that they don't take them away. Right. Okay. I, I that was you know that was the only thing she said to me as far as you know when I said I was researching. So <laughs> I thought, okay. <laughs> so um, did they? Um. Yes. Okay. So. So as you're seeing this, looking back on it now, you see that they said things to you that were not true. But uh, yeah, that you don't know it at the time. No, I I had no idea that they were going to give him new medications. I, you know, didn't know they were going to take away medications. I mean, he was on, you know. Warfarin, you know, the blood thinner and some, you know, blood pressure medications. I those they kept, but you know his other, you know, um, he was on medication for gout and, and you know supplements and, and a few other medications. You know those they all discontinued. <laughs> Jeez, did they? You said they put him on other medications. Do you know what medications they started giving him? Um, well, like I said, at the, when I signed papers and all through. Um, you know, starting on hospice, I I didn't know that they had ordered any new medications. I didn't see any kind of care plan. Um, all I got was like a verbal, you know, from the nurse, oh, we'll come, you know, twice a week or, you know, whatever it was, and the aides will come however many times a week. Um, that's all I got as far as a care plan. <laughs> Jeez, so, okay. Um, but, yeah, no, um, they had ordered, well, Morphine, of course, um, and lorazepam. Did you approve that? No. Did they ask I, you at that no, time? I, they didn't ask you. They just started it. Nope, nope. You know, and the other thing was um, I was my dad's power of attorney, and um, when we, when I signed the papers, at that point my power of attorney um, became activated, uh, which means that he's considered incompetent to make medical decisions. So, um, just kind of a, you know, on a side there. <laughs> um, but well, no, they you're, absolutely, not told me. you're absolutely right to bring that up because they have to have consent to start giving narcotics. And for them to, you had power of attorney and not asking you if they could give him lorazepam and morphine is illegal to do that. They have to have consent. Mm-hmm. And you did not give consent, nor did you have knowledge, until no. a time much later. Yeah, and um, along with those, they ordered um, scopolamine, which is a, a patch 
that gets applied um, mostly to the side of your neck, and you know it's a, a lot of people use it for like you know motion sickness, you know, if you're flying on a plane or you know have mm-hmm. motion sickness in the car. Um, but this was used for um, for drying up secretions because he had problems, you know, with cooling of his saliva, you know. So right. Well, they they do that for the phlegm, and mm-hmm. it, uh, they. They put that on my mom also, so. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And um, I'll just kind of doing some research, you know, after the fact, you know, that um, scopolamine is pretty powerful as far as, you know, sedating and <laughs> mm-hmm. it's um, Absolutely. out as bad as morphine. <laughs> Absolutely. And they, they don't tell you any of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you said, you didn't find out until you started reading the medical records what they had actually given your dad during this yeah. time frame. Mm-hmm. So when you went to see ordered... him, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I was just going to say a couple other ones that they ordered was um, atropine and hyothiamine, which they're for drying up secretions too, but, you know, their side effects are just like, you know, scopolamine and morphine, so... <laughs> And then while they had discontinued his, you know, he had prescriptions for oxycodone and hydrocodone, you know, for worse pain. So, but those they had discontinued. (laughs) That just really makes me angry Uh, because they were giving him um, a lot of these drugs that they give him are called black box drugs, and Mm. they're giving it without your consent. And they do cause a lot of bad side effects, you know, dizziness, nausea, you know, blurred vision. I mean, things that they should not be doing to an elderly person who is completely helpless at whatever they're giving them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am so sorry. I, I, I understand exactly how you feel. Mm-hmm. So is he still able to communicate with you at this point? Because we're like into... This is at the end of October, the beginning of November? Um, yeah, end of October. Well, you know, when we would go visit him, um, I could tell there was something was different. Um, he seemed more, you know, withdrawn and just not, you know, usually, you know, if we'd have TV on and something funny would happen, he'd laugh, you know, and um, I, you know, the one... He he enjoyed he enjoys watching sports, you know. He's a big football fan, baseball and all that. So on you know, Sundays when we would go it would be football day. <laughs> right. Um, and so well the the Sunday we were there, you know, we had a game on and um you know, something funny happened during the game and well my husband and I we were laughing and you know, I could tell my dad he I could tell he wanted to laugh but he just he couldn't. You know, I I could see it in his face that he wanted to, but um, you know, and I just I didn't know what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I just you know I didn't know if he was just kind of having a bad day, or you know, because um, like I said, I before the first time we had gone and seen him, they had given him the palamine patch, and well, you know, that alone would have sedated him enough that, you know, I could tell that there was something wasn't right. But then they started in with the morphine and um, 
and the other drugs. Um, so, yeah, there was, um, according to the, the records and stuff, they, he had kind of gradually um, lessened his eating. Um, there was never, you know, there was like a cup of water in his room, but, you know, he, <laughs> there was no way he could, you know, get to it to, you know, take a drink or anything. And, you know, there was, you know, no hydration unless there was somebody there to, you know, give him a cup of the straw. Right. And as far as did you goes, try, you know, was he <laughs> able to swallow if you tried to give him some, could he, at that point? Um, yeah. Uh, a cousin, one of my cousins and her son came to visit, and, you know, she had brought a, um, a bowl of, um, rice pudding that he always liked. It was my my grandma's recipe, and mm-hmm. he that, it was like the day before he died. He ate the entire container. <laughs> oh, so he was enjoying that, sure. Oh, yes, mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, he would, you know, he would feed it to him, and I would, you know, give him his water. You know, I could tell you when he'd look at the cup. Well, then I know. Oh, you want some water? And then he'd shake his head yes. <laughs> hmm Right. Right. So, so he's still yeah. aware of what's going on. Mhm. Yes. You know, he knew. Well, my my cousin's kid is a priest, um, and the the one day we were visiting there with them, and you know, he we said prayers and stuff, and you know, he could make the sign of the cross and stuff, and you know, he couldn't speak the prayers, but you know, he knew what was going on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, so um, this is now we're um, at the very beginning of November. And that's when you started noticing that he wasn't enjoying the TV, wasn't laughing, and didn't really seem like he was alert and watching mm-hmm. TV. Yeah, yeah, it just he seemed very withdrawn. Um, and that this wheelchair that um, hospice had given him was just, I, I, I never seen anything like it. <laughs> they called it a Broda chair. Um, to me, it kind of looked like, you know, those chairs from the old horror films for the, you know, the electrical chairs, you know, it had a real high oh. back on it, and I just, I couldn't figure out how to even move it around. <laughs> it was, uh, was he getting in the wheelchair, or was he, when you would go in to see him, was he always in the bed, or he would be sitting in the wheelchair? He would be in the wheelchair um, until, like, the weekend before he died, then he was always in bed. Okay. So, yeah, apparently, you know, they could figure out how to move it around, but I sure couldn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think so, I've seen one like that. Yeah, it's, you know, maybe you could Google it or something and see what it is, but it's just I had never seen one like that before. <laughs> Can you spell I, that? Yeah. Bro- Broda? B, B as in brother. Uh-huh. R-O-D as in David. A. Oh, Broda. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll all look that up. Yeah. So, okay, um, so now he, tell me about the, you said he had a pacemaker and the chaplain had come in? Yes. Um, well, there's a, you know, a chaplain associated with the hospice, and um, the one day the chaplain was there, and, um, well, my dad had... Um, with the pacemaker, he had a little a monitor in his room for you know if something if 
you know, something would happen with the pacemaker, then that monitor would send an alert to the doctor's office. Um, so it was the one day the chaplain was there, and in the notes here, he he said that my dad kept looking at the, the monitor. And so the chaplain, you know, just kind of, he asked him well, if he was, you know, afraid that it was going to shock him. Um, I don't know what my dad's answer was. Apparently it was yes, I'm not, I don't know. Um, but I, the chaplain had told the nurse at the home, and I guess at that point they gave him a lorazepam. So, um, <laughs> and, um, well, after, when looking through the notes from the doctor's office, um, it was maybe a day or two before that, um, in the record there showed an alert came through. Um, it was noted in the, in the doctor's notes um, exactly what it was. I don't know because you have to go into this other um, program for getting the medical records. I, I'm not real sure how that all works. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was something came through, um, but apparently it was never relayed to the home because, you know, the chaplain, he had the nurse look through, you know, the records, and there was no mention of anything with the pacemaker. So <laughs> I, my dad must have known something was with it, but he couldn't communicate what it was, and and nothing was, you know, said from the doctor's office. So, Well, that's probably why he was looking over at the monitor because, you know, I don't know if he'd felt a skip or I don't know how pacemakers work, but yeah. he probably knew something and was trying to communicate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Something and the chaplain happened. just didn't get it, and yep. nobody alerted anybody to it. Nope. So what did they do? The they gave him, they gave him a lorazepam, and then what did they do? Um, yeah, I suppose they gave him a lorazepam because they figured he was anxious. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> I, I think I would might be if, if there was an alert on it, he probably mm-hmm. felt something. Yeah. So, so did they uh, take that monitor out? Um, or no, that, they... that stayed in his room. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, um, I the day I was, you know, the day before he died, he was, you know, able to eat and, you know, drink some. Um, but the next morning it was, you know, completely different. He, you know, didn't. I brought him oatmeal. He didn't want any. Um, when I got there, there were, you know, two aides. They had. <laughs> When I when I looked, they had like little sponges on sticks, and you know they had them in his mouth. Well, I suppose they were, you know, soaking up secretions or whatever. You know, I didn't know at the time what they were doing, but <laughs> and um, right. I don't think and, I would have known either. They had sponges yeah. in his mouth. Yeah, they lo- it looked like little sponges on sticks. So they were kind of you know slobbing around in his mouth. So and that, okay, that's what they were doing when I got there. So I. I sat by his bedside for, you know, quite a while, and um, he just—I um, don't—I don't know if he knew I was there, um, but I just, you know, I sat and I just 
held his arm and I just told him I was sorry that this wasn't what I signed up for. He knew that you were there for him and that you loved him and you had done absolutely everything you could. I mean, you went and visited him all the time and you did the research that you thought would give you the right answers. I I guess I was just, you know, really, I thought things were going to carry on just as they were. And I'm, I just, I, I was so mad leaving there that day. I just, <laughs> I, all I could do was pound on the steering wheel of my van. <laughs> right, um, right. But, um, yeah, I, well, while I was there, one of the aides came in too and, um, well, he he couldn't close his mouth at all. It's, it's just like his mouth was just it's this right. round, round circle that just was always open. He couldn't close his mouth at all. Right. And um, when when I was there, one of the aides came in and well, said he said was nobody got some medicine for you, and was he dropped some medicine in his mouth, and mm. I I was just I I wanted to ask you know, what it was, but I was just, oh, I, I was just crying, so I... Because you feel so defenseless, and yeah. you you know something's wrong, but you don't know what it is, and you don't know what to do about it, because you're trusting that they're doing and saying honest things to you, and they're not, and that that is the danger of us trusting them, and I think, I mean, that's the reason you're you're hitting the nail on the head, the reason that we have the shows, that we do this, and that there's so much talk about it now to warn other people so they don't go through what we and thousands of other people have gone through. You did your best, Michelle. I mean, you were there for him. You believed what they said because they're convincing. And what we've heard about hospice is it's compassionate. Yeah. That's that's and what we believe. Like I said, I had no clue about anything with hospice other than, you know, people went to hospice when it was, you know, their time. But I don't know what went on in hospice, if <laughs> what drugs were ordered, if there was even new drugs ordered. You know, I was I was completely clueless. <laughs> And there was no consent for the drugs they gave him. And there no. is no consent in the majority of the cases. The families are like you were, like we were. You don't know, and you trust that they're doing the right thing. And, um, well, you know, since since he died, I found out, you know, I could have revoked hospice when I, you know, thought, you know, something wasn't right. Um, but that's... I I didn't know I could. Um, they never told me, you know, how I should go about doing that. All they told me was, you know, if I have a problem with something, I should come to them first. Well, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I I felt kind of intimidated at that point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they've told you this is going to be better. We're going to have more people around the clock to help your dad. We're going to get him a new chair. We're going to mm-hmm. get him a new bed. 
we don't stop giving them the medicines that he's already taking. They did. Mm-hmm. They never discussed with you that they were going to start giving him lorazepam, morphine, the patches. They didn't discuss that with you. So you absolutely had no idea when you signed the paper what was going to happen. And many years ago when hospice first started, that is the way that it was. They did do those things, and they did not hasten someone's death. Now, sadly, that is what they do. Now, um, one of the things that you and I had talked about on that particular, and you're in Michigan, um, one of the things Wisconsin. is the uh, – Wisconsin. I'm sorry. Why did I say <laughs> okay. Michigan? Wisconsin. My brother-in-law is from Wisconsin. I'm sorry. Um, but the owner of the assisted living was also part owner of that hospice. Was that right? Yes, I found that out since, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he had a vested interest in you going with that hospice and keeping your dad in that facility. So mm-hmm. that was another one of the little arm twists that they do. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he can stay right here in his bed. Everything will be just the same that it is. He'll continue to get help. Mm-hmm. And Well, and, you know, with going on Medicaid now, the community care, you know, do do they pay the amount he was paying by private pay? I highly doubt that. Um, if they take care of paying for everybody, you know, who's on Medicaid and, like, nursing homes and assisted livings, I mean, that's a lot of money. I can't imagine that they pay the full amount. I just, you know, the whole no, timing I, I, to me was very odd, you know, when, you know, him going on to Medicaid and then all of a sudden, you know, hospice is brought up. It, it was just very odd to me. Well, he ran out of money. He ran mm-hmm. out of like you say, the amount of money that he was going to be paying them, so there was no more money they could get out of him. He was going to start mm-hmm. costing money. Right, and no, he needed more help. Point. Well, then there wasn't as many, you know, the staff wouldn't, couldn't help him as much. So, yeah, maybe losing money. <laughs> right, and he was taking up a bed. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know that particular one, if they had people, you know, waiting in line. I you know, I don't know if there was a mass turnover in that particular facility. And unfortunately, we don't know what they're thinking mm-hmm. when they're doing this, and we're just trusting that we're doing the best for our loved ones. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we last week we had um, Carol Herman on, and we were talking about, you know, different things you could do. And sadly, um, as much research as we do do, the best we can do is to know when they, you know, like you said with your dad, that he started acting differently. He didn't seem like he was engaged. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once we know that, but, but again, when you signed the papers, you had no idea that they were going to do this. And then when it started happening, you didn't know what was happening and you didn't know how to get out of it. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I... that, you know, that is the... Um, the game that they play with our loved one's life. Yeah. And, um, you know, with all the records that I've got, you know, I I got a copy of the, the tax letter, you know, where hospice was brought up in the first place. Um, and, uh, well, it said, <laughs> it said, you know, when I had told the nurse, you know, that 
I that I didn't want to, you know, take him to a follow-up appointment right away until his antibiotics were done. Um, in this letter to his doctor, um, the nurse at the home says, and quote here, daughter slash POA Michelle relates she does not feel there's anything else to do for Orville. Now, I never, ever said there was, I didn't think there was anything else they could do. I just wanted to delay going to the doctor's appointment. Until he was finished with the antibiotics. Right. Right. And then it says, says, in your opinion, would you consider Orville a candidate for hospice? And I I just cannot believe, when I first read that, I I just died. I just couldn't believe she twisted my words around like that. So the nurse from the facility that he was at went to the mm-hmm. doctor and told the doctor you saw no there was nothing else that they could do for him and yeah. it, in essence she was saying you were recommending that he go to hospice <laughs> or that you she had discussed it with you somehow yeah and then this was this was on October 9th this letter was October 9th and well she didn't call me until the next week and then well the doctor scribbles in the corners yes, would consider hospice if daughter agrees. So, you know, his primary care doctor never examined him, and the, the hospice doctor never examined, examined him. I just, you know, you need, to, you need to see the doctor for everything else Medicare-related except for hospice, then you can just, you know, Make go on a recommendation. <laughs> mm-hmm. From a nurse. Yeah. From a nurse. That, that yeah. seems to be, um, the nurses seem to be a lot more, um, culpable in making the decisions. Um, yes, it, in my mom's situation, it was like that as well. The nurse made the decision, mm-hmm. and you were lied to, and it, it's just an unfortunate thing. Um, did you try after that to? check with an attorney or with anybody to report it to anybody or you were just so shocked when it didn't happen? Well, you know, I I found like the email to the state ombudsman for long-term care, you know, to, to report abuse and stuff like that. Um, I, I wrote to them once. They didn't they referred me to a different department, um, and you know I said, you know I, I believe it's a conflict of interest to own an assisted living home and a hospice. I mean, both sides of your bread are going to get buttered. Exactly. Um, but the, you know, the state feels that you know there's nothing against owning both, so I guess I was nothing I could nothing I could do that way. <laughs> And sadly, that is true. Um, I mm-hmm. believe that's what you know. Most of us have found out on the Facebook site, "Murdered by Hospice." Um, there's another Facebook site, "Hidden Realities of Hospice." So yeah. there are several sites out there that are addressing the same type of concerns, and we all know it's happening. But sadly, it, there is nothing being done about it. Um, I'm hoping with the situation in Ohio, they found out that he's hastened the death of, I believe it's up to 34 people now, and they are looking into that. He's been, you know, pulled off of his doctor responsibilities, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the case, Novus, um, case in Texas. So I believe that we're starting to hear more about hospice hastening people's deaths. And I believe that we are going in the right direction. There is a movement, and I think that we just have to continue to tell our stories and let the people know who don't know to, you know, this is the homework that we didn't do because we trusted when you first Google that it says they're compassionate care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's – go ahead. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, my advice to – you know, anyone that, you know, feels they need to put, you know, their loved one in a facility, um, you know, just as often as you can, get the records, you know, maybe once every two weeks or whatever, um, at least, you know, the nurse's notes, especially if you can't be there all the time, you know, get those nurse's notes so you know what goes on from day to day. And, you know, like their medication list, because they can, you know, discontinue and add medications without you knowing it. <laughs> well, that's um, a very good point, Michelle. I had not thought about that. But if you notice something's wrong, if you know, if you go in at that point and mm-hmm. you know, I want the medical records and you had the power of attorney, so mm-hmm. you certainly had the right to get the records. Yeah. Mhm. And even, you know, like after doctor's appointments too, I you know, I would you know, a day or two after the appointment, their records should be ready, you know, read them over and so you know what the doctor is thinking and, you know, I just um, get the records as often as you can. Right. Um, with that, something Marty had said a couple of weeks ago, that the HIPAA law that is out there is to protect the doctors and not the patients. And right. if the doctor makes notes on the records, handwritten notes on the patient's records, then he can say he won't give those to you. So it puts us in the position of having to say, I don't want you to handwrite notes on my dad's records so that Mm -hmm. you can get the records. And that's part of what HIPAA's doing. So um, the other thing, I'm assuming that your dad had a DNR? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I think hospice, will not accept a person if they don't have a DNR. But that's one thing that we've been telling people, you know, make sure you have a good medical power of attorney, mm-hmm. as solid as it can be, have it notarized, and yeah. don't sign a do not resuscitate because it puts yeah. you at risk of the doctors. And as in your case with your dad, um, the nurse making the decision mm-hmm. that, you know, we're going to end this person's life. Right. Yes, definitely. So, um, I guess you know, just one other piece of advice that I wish I would have done is um, have a camera in the room. Um, you know, when is when is fall there at the beginning of October? You know, the the home said that um, you know he was being helped by two people when he fell, um, but the, the EMTs told the doctor that it was an unwitnessed fall. So, you know, I don't know. If which story got mixed up or by whom, but, you know, to have, you know, cameras in the room, it, would've, it wouldn't have been any doubt. And, you know, especially if falls started happening, well, is it, you know, the person falling or is it, you know, the caregivers being negligent or, you know, you just you just want to know. <laughs> 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a point, too. I mean, I think you would probably have to ha- – I don't know if you could install a camera and, you know, if it's Wi-Fi or however you're doing it, but I don't mm-hmm. know that you could install a camera without them knowing it, but certainly, you know, you could ask that. That would be something we would mm-hmm. have to, you know, research. Maybe I'll check into that to see so yeah. that on the next show we might have that information. Mm-hmm. But you just yeah. have to be careful. And that's kind of what I guess you're saying to our listeners now is to be careful and request the medical records while they're in the in the facility. And if you notice that they're starting to act different or, you know, be sluggish, lethargic, then request the medical records at that time so you can see what kind of drugs are they giving them and how mm-hmm. frequently they're yeah. giving them to him. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I... um. It is just a sad state of affairs when people make the decision that someone's life is no longer useful and valid and they decide to take that life away from them. Yeah, and I, I even though he was, you know, declining slowly, I he would more than likely be here today yet. He, he could have li- he might have lived another month. Two months. Mm-hmm. They don't know that because they mm-hmm. took that away from him. Yeah. So they they don't know that. <clears throat> Michelle, I appreciate you telling your story to us. I know it was painful for you, but hopefully it will help other people that are listening and that they might be able to save their loved ones, and that's why we do this. I hope so, definitely. So is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, you know, I guess, you know, I just got my little bit of advice out there for anybody who, anybody? Case, you know, their loved one should go into a facility, so, you know, just... Okay, and sometimes and we don't, <laughs> right, and we sometimes we don't have a choice. Um, next Wednesday, Carly Walden will be coming back on and doing her show on Wednesday, the same topic of hospice hidden realities of hospice so if you tune in next week you'll hear Carly Walden and I believe that we're probably out of time and we'll be clicked off momentarily okay Um, I should have said in the beginning and I will next time that if you have a comment or question if you hit the number one then you will go into a queue and Marty will bring you in so I will make sure I mention that next time Okay, are we all done there? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, and Michelle, thank you for your story, and I'm so sorry about your father. Uh, thank you, Marty. We, we, people pay attention. This is important information, and Marcia and Carly will be giving you information about how to avoid co- uh, hospice, what your rights are in hospice, and you need to listen to these shows and tell your friends about them too because there's a lot of information here. When you find out you weren't the only one this happened to, it's like a light bulb going off what exactly did happen. Until then, um, everyone, thanks for tuning in, and we will be back next week. See you, everybody. Bye-bye.